Welcome to All the Things. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager, also known as Theology Mom. And this is the show where we talk about all things related to God, the Bible, and real life. And can you believe we've been doing this show? We we have been doing this since 2019. It was like our the end of our fourth season. That's crazy. It really is. It it truly is crazy. So we are going to uh be doing these series for the next six weeks. We're calling them all the things rewind shows where we're going back into the archives and pulling out some of those gems because it's going to be new content for most people. Yes. So we have quite a few shows that were um, pre 2020 when people really started to find all the things. And so we thought, you know what, this content could really be helpful to some people. Let's share it again. Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad that we've picked these out. Uh, many of the shows that we're going to be looking at have like 25 views, 50 views. Not that many people have seen it, but the content was still strong. Yeah. And so being able to share that uh, is going to be a great thing for people, even though we are out on hiatus right now, bringing basically fresh content. Yes. And tonight's show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity. The Theology Mom podcast. Family 210 Clothing. Yes. And our friends at Impact 360. Okay. So let's do a little setup here for the show for tonight that we're going to be replaying back. Uh, We went into the archives. We're doing show number 10. So this was my pick. Mm -hmm. Um, This first aired in... May of 2019. So it was only show 10. We we, we, we barely knew what we were doing. Yes. Yes. So <laughs> this show only had, it only had like 24 views on YouTube. So we were like, hey, let's go ahead and replay this show. It is with Arlene Pelicane. She's actually an old classmate of yours. Yeah, and from college. Yeah. yeah. But she's gone on to write several books. A couple of books deal with kids and social media And um, I follow her on social media and I know that she lives this out. Her oldest child just started college a couple of weeks ago. Awesome. And so she still has two kids at home. So this is all the way back from 2019. But this is a topic I'm passionate about uh, getting Christian parents to think about. So I really hope that you enjoy our discussion with Arlene Pelicane. Let's roll the tape. Let's get our guest on here and talk to my old college friend, Arlene Pelicane. Welcome to the show, Arlene. So we didn't have phones and social media 20 <laughs> plus years ago. We actually talk wow. to each other all the time. <laughs> I know. I, I When I tell my children, like, I didn't even have a cell phone until I was 24. That's crazy. And I went to seminary before the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was uh, it feels like the dark ages, but um, I'm so glad that you are willing to come on and talk to us. And I want to make sure that people know how they can get connected to you. We've got your uh, website here. I want to show your book, Growing Up Social. Bob's going to get it up on the screen here. He's like five arms. He's all by himself today. (laughs) (laughs) So there it is. 
that you co-authored a, a few years ago with uh, Dr. Gary Chapman. Yeah, that was a great experience and basically wanted to reach out to families. On the cover of the book, you'll see these two little kids, white tablecloth, nice date. And, you know, when they grow up, when your kids grow up, you don't want them to be like texting you look very beautiful, you know, and the girls like emoji, 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 emoji. So you really, we want more for kids in the next generation than that. And so that's what that book is about. And I think you're right that this is real life. It is God. It is the Bible because this is impacting how we relate to God, how much we actually read the Bible. All those things are all wrapped up in this. Very good. And um, I think that one of the the issues and the challenges that our generation faces as being really the first parents who have had to deal with this issue. Yeah. And I, I think just candidly speaking, there's some things that we haven't done well uh, because I think the technology caught us a little bit off guard and there's some things that we're having to undo. Yep. <laughs> and, I well and I, I love your voice in this space because you're not the voice of alarm, but you are the voice of care and concern. And I think you strike a really good balance, Arlene, and I'm just super honored that you come on the show. So let's just kick it off here with a question about, we were talking a minute ago about my thought as a theologian that being connected as part of the created order. Is technology actually helping us with that, is it helping us yeah. be more connected with one another? And I think that's a really good question to ask. It's one we ask in Growing Up Social. So is technology bringing your family closer together or is it pulling it further apart? So on that micro level of your family, how is technology impacting you? On the macro level of society, I think we can observe technology is probably not helping us connect. It's probably making us more in tune with our devices and less in tune with other people. Think of common courtesy. You know, when you were like just walking down the street, it used to be if you saw someone walking down the street, you might just make eye contact and nod and maybe even say good morning. You know, that's just the pleasantries of living with other people in a community. But today that would be like, oh, what a friendly person. <laughs> they said hello. You know, it's kind of weird because we're all walking around looking down at this. So I think as a society, technology has made us less connected with people while we buy this because we think, oh, if we have a phone, we'll be able to Skype grandma. We'll be able to keep in touch with our high school buddies on a social media platform. And yes, you can do those things, but the majority of the time that we're spending isn't really enriching our relationships. It's more distracting with, it's a very shallow place. So I think on a large scale, it's not helping us. And then you think of a small scale of a family, right? And it could you know, a, a, a child really could be Skyping grandma. That could be happening. But you and I know that if we take the average child and we say, hey, what are you doing on your phone? They're not going to be like, oh, I'm Skyping my grandma in Alaska, right? It's like, it's not what they're doing. And so very much so, I think we should be concerned that we are lacking true connections with people and we're too connected with our devices. A lot of grandparents say, I wish my grandkids would call me like, talk yeah. to me with their voices because they refuse to call me. They will only text me. But that medium is so limited, you know, because you only have so many characters and you don't get any voice inflection and you don't get the side stories and all those things you miss. And so I think that is, is really contributing to a lot of disconnect. 
Well, I, I think that the social connection and the social development of children is such a big issue. I have deep concerns about uh, kind of one of my first red flags about this as a parent several years ago now, but one of our children needed to call an adult about a, an issue and just ask a very simple question. And it led to like this meltdown of apocalyptic proportions oh, right. that, 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 that she had to call an adult to ask a question. And I'm thinking, okay, something has gone wrong here because when I was even in the fifth and sixth grade, if I wanted to call my friend on the phone, I had to know how to talk to an adult enough to get through the dad or the mom to say, is, is Sally there? Can I speak to her? Right. I knew how to talk to an adult and ask a question or make a request. And the fact that my child was completely right. unable right. to ask an adult a question, I thought, I have taken a wrong turn here as a parent. It's things that we assume like, oh, our kid's going to be able to do that. But then you realize, oh, my goodness, if they haven't practiced talking to an adult, if they haven't practiced, you know, so we will make our kids like if they want to know we were looking for a certain item, like some robot at Walmart or something. So I told my daughter, she was probably in like fifth or sixth grade. You have to call Walmart, talk to the person and ask, do you have such and such in stock? Right. And so this was kind of nerve wracking for her, but we talked it, talked her through it. Like you're going to get a lot of recordings at first, and then you're going to select the thing to talk to customer service or whatever. But that was good practice because there's zero risk, right? If she totally right. messes that up, big deal. You call again. It's so it's You'll like get another kids, person. You get another person. So our kids need practice. And so we as parents have to push them to that because believe it or not, they're not getting that in everyday life. For sure. It's you have to have so much intentionality. It's really and if you're not tuned into it, it can become a blind spot. And then you wake up one day and you realize my child doesn't know how to talk they're, to people. They're 30 years old. And they're like, can I text them? Yeah, I, I'm wondering what marriages are going to be like 20 years from now. And like, how do they work out their problems? I because know. I don't know. You and I, Arlene, have been married a long time. Mm -hmm. I, we just celebrated our 25th. Uh, we've had some hard conversations yes. in our marriage. There's been some bumps in the road. Yeah, How are these people going to do that? Maybe and that is a huge point. Yeah, go ahead, Monique. <laughs> so, all right. You want to ask a question? Well, I think um, right now we're talking about a lot of the social implications of screen time. But what are some of the physiological implications? Like, how are we seeing changes in like a child's brain? Yes. Or is, a, is that real? No, even? it's totally real. So, you know, your children, when they're born, when those babies are born, they have billions and billions of neurons forming. And that's why the American Academy of Pediatrics says no screen time. You know, ideally what you're shooting for is two or under no screen time. So that brain can develop so they can see a real apple and not just a little apple on the back of your device, you know, so they can see different things. So they're actually crawling and moving. Think of what a baby's doing when they're on a screen. They're perfectly still, right? Just their little finger. 
and they're smiling. That's probably about it. So they got a little mouth action going on, eyes and finger. That's it. Whereas think of them with blocks. They're having to hold things. They're having to learn how to tactily work. So there's so much being missed developmentally if your two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old is sitting on average, you know, um, they'll say statistically maybe four hours a day on games, YouTube, videos, et cetera. So if your two, three, four, five-year-old is sitting for that long every day, they're missing physical milestones. They're missing speech milestones because the best way to learn speech is by mimicking speech with adults, with people in your yeah. life. You know, that's how they learn. So you can give them an app and that sounds great. And it's advertised to be so superior because it's so amazing. But it is the human being, whether that's a parent, a sister, a nanny, a, you know, whoever talking to you. Oh, did you like that? Oh, let's take your diaper off, honey. Oh, it's time to go to the store. All that. That's how that child is going to learn how to speak best, not from an app. So you see a lot of kids in speech therapy today. You see a lot of kids dealing with ADHD. And many times that can be prevented by a child simply learning these developmental things in normal life before screens came into being, right? Those things were pretty natural to learn. But now it takes effort like put your iPad away, little three-year-old, because we're going to bounce a ball. Put your iPad away, yeah. little four-year-old. Now it's like an effort where before kids just played automatically. So yes, there are huge developmental things happening. And the the child in puberty, which is kind of, a, a, you know, God has a sense of humor, they get another burst of brain cells. And uh, one of the hypotheses is the use it or lose it principle. Whatever brain cells are being used in junior high, those are the ones that survive into adulthood. So if your kid's into sports, academics, reading, service, those are the kinds of things they're going to do as an adult. But if they're into playing video games, watching TV and posting the perfect selfie, then those are the brain cells that survive into adulthood. And so we're really forming habits in our children. And that's where we have to go, whoa, wait a minute. Do I really want a 22 year old who's like watching Netflix for five hours every night? You know, do I want them, their brains? to automatically go into that pattern. And that's when it's really important as adults to make some unpopular decisions. You know, your kids are not going to go, oh, thank you for protecting my brain right now. You know, they don't know. They're going to they're gonna cry and scream and you're going to think it's the apocalypse. But yeah. later they will thank you. So that leads me to another question. You say like before they're two, there shouldn't be any screen time. But then one of, and please correct me because I'm probably going to yeah. say this wrong. One of the quotes in your book says that by the time a child is seven, they have like a full right. year yes, of true. screen time, like 365, 24 hour days of screen time. As a parent, what would you say like is the formula then? Is there a formula? Is there like, you know, just no screen time until they're seven? How how do parents navigate the, you know, I don't want you to have too much screen time. I want your brain to develop. Or, you know, is there a balance between that sure. and, you know, making sure that my kid doesn't feel ostracized from the rest of the world mm -hmm. because they don't have the gadgets that their friends have? Mm -hmm. So to that statistic, so if your child follows the national average, then by the time they're seven, they'd have a full year of screen time. So we think like, wait a minute, I don't want my child to have that much screen time. So I know I don't want to follow averages. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, I think, provides a very good framework. And actually, there's like, 
if you go to their website, they have a family media plan where you can like type in the age of your children. And basically you're putting in how many hours of sleep do that should they be getting? How much time should they be outside? How much time are they spending spending eating? And it, and it kind of shows you what's left for screen time and free time. And then it helps you figure out for your home what would work. So I think that's that shows that intention and you're kind of working on it as a plan. But they say from age two to five, uh, ideally half an hour or less, an hour or half an hour or less, but they also recommend co-viewing because what's different is if you put your child, most of us, when we put our children and they're watching TV, we're not like, oh, fabulous. I'm going to sit right next down next to you and watch this cartoon with you. You know, we think like, oh, f- good. We have 30 minutes to be by ourselves and to like get stuff done and we run as far away as we can. But they recommend co-viewing. So you're like, oh, look, the color's yellow. Isn't that amazing? And then that brings value to that screen time. But most of us don't treat it that way. So it's kind of adding your own commentary to it so that there's a there's you're working different parts of the brain. They're not Mm -hmm. just passively receiving it. You're you're also engaging in verbal action so that their their brain is continuing to be stimulated. Yeah. And co-viewing, like even watching a, f- a family movie, you know, with your 12, 14 and 16 year old, that could be a bonding activity, a good activity. Now you've got the same quotes that you're laughing about. You've seen the same thing. That's a lot different than kids, just one kid in the living room watching this, another kid with earbuds, mom doing social media, dad watching sports. That's a totally different dynamic. So you also have to quantify like what is this? screen time that we're doing and how do we use it. And really what happens is you have very good intentions with that first child, but then child number two comes, child number three comes, child number four comes, or however many. And then you're like, oh my goodness, my older child's watching and I can't get my younger child not to watch. This is getting so hard. So you really do have to be super intentional about, you know, okay, I've got this two-year-old. Okay, we've got to wait till the two-year-old's in nap time before the seven-year-old gets their half an hour of TV time. And you really have to plan that out and be very like on it judicious because yes. that slips away so easily. And, and, and to be honest, I've kind of migrated into a posture with our younger daughter um, that I'm actually more restrictive now with her it's than I was funny. with her older sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard. It, I mean, it, you have to be made of some powerful stuff in your soul as a parent. And let me say this, Krista and Monique, that your environment is super important. So if your child has a cell phone, has a personal tablet, you know, there's a screen in every room. I mean, how can we expect them to be like, okay, go home. And I'd like you just to be on for 15 minutes. You know, when they have all these things in their environment that say, use me, pick me up. Like you've got spare time, take me. So your environment has a lot to do with it. And it's what we as parents, we have to buy into the environment first right? Yeah. So we're super dinosaur-like. So we don't have a television. We never have had cable. You know, my kids are now high school, junior high, elementary school. So they've grown up in a home that didn't have TV, didn't have cable, that when it was screen time, it was like, oh, everyone's going to watch Tim Hawkins, the comedian, or everybody's going to watch Hoosiers. You know, like it was always like that. So they've grown up in that environment where the screen wasn't easily accessible to them. So now as they have school issued iPads, junior high, school issued laptops, high school, you know, now they have this access. And so sure, they're going to be more prone to be like, oh, let me go on YouTube and let me look at videos about things that I'm interested in. Right. But they've had those younger years 
of having that self-control. So even though it's a battle, it's not as much of a battle. And then yeah. they don't have personal phones, personal um, iPads. And one thing that I, where I know like, okay, when they turn those devices in during the summer, they don't freak out. Like when my daughter who's in seventh grade will turn in her iPad next week, she's not going to be like, oh, what am I going to do all summer? And, and that's a good test with your kids of, okay, is this device too central? In yeah. the, can I take this device and put it to bed for the weekend or, and can my children survive that? And that's a great test, both for adults and for kids to make sure like, are we not too tied into this? I think you bring up a good point regarding um, older kids and their access to screens because they are so prevalent among all of the high school students, most of the junior high school students. What is your um, maybe advice or encouragement to parents who find themselves struggling in the middle of my kid refuses to put down their cell phone? My kid refuses to, you know, have a conversation and not text. Yeah. So the first thing I would say to that parent, I think about my books, Parent Rising, is that whole leadership. Like parent, as long as you are providing shelter for your child and most likely you are paying for that phone, you're the one paying for it. So you're the one who can say, you know what, honey, I'm noticing that you are not talking with us as much. You are not as open to us as you used to be. And I really see that correlating with your phone. And you may not like this very much, but we're going to go ahead and give your phone a break for, and whatever you think, for one week, for five days, for two hours, because that's all your child can do, whatever. But we're going to give your phone a break and then we'll talk again. And really to have that ownership, like I can do that. Like a lot of parents feel like, oh, I couldn't do that. But you can, like you're the adult and they're the 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old. You are, you can do that. I, I always remember after giving um, a talk like this, encouraging parents, and this is one encouragement I would give to parents is to collect the phones at night. And even if you have a senior in high school, and if you simply say from the sleep perspective, you know, 40% of kids are waking up in the middle of the night to text someone at two o'clock in the morning and they're, go they're not sleeping. They're just on, off, on, off all night. And you wonder why they're so irritable in the morning and why they have such a hard time concentrating. So just from a sleep perspective, never mind pornography and texting and what are you doing at night, just from a sleep perspective to say, I'm going to be collecting your phone and that's it. Yeah, and I so I, I had I one dad say, I just, I, I've known big, strong man. I've known that I was supposed to do that with my daughter, but I have been afraid to, and I'm going to do it. So I think part of it is us not being afraid to be unliked, unpopular, you know, the object of scorn for a little bit and say, I know this is the right thing. So I'm going to collect your phone at night. I think that's a great starting place and that will help your child tremendously. Now they're going to be able to sleep better. They're going to have to relearn that, but they're not going to like it. They're going to say, my friends are going to think that I hate them because I don't text them back and you're trying to ruin my life and all those things. But in the long run, you're really doing your kid a great service. I love that. And what I actually hear you saying is that in a time of so much screen time, it really requires parents to get back into active parenting yeah. and into understanding what it really means to be a parent. Like I always tell my friends who are parents, even though I don't have kids, like right. you're not meant to be your parents' friends exactly. all the time. Like you, right. your, parent, your kids will have their own emotions and can be responsible for that. And 
you are called to parent them. And so, yeah, I just, I love what you're saying about, you know, parents really stepping back into that role of parenting and not being afraid to be the bad guy, quote unquote. Yeah. We're going to take a short time out here from our conversation with Arlene Pelican. We really hope that you're enjoying it, but we want to hear from our friends at Impact 360 and we will be back in just one minute. Change isn't going to come just because you want it to. Change comes because you are intentionally taking steps to making that change. I aspire to be someone who continues to build bridges with other cultures and who cultivates a community that's healthy and honoring to the Lord and life-giving. Now, after the program, I feel like I know what my purpose is and I know what I want to do going out into the world. And had I not had this time to step back and just kind of be patient and be still and just listen, I don't think I would have had that same clarity. In this world, it's kind of like in a scream contest. Who can scream the loudest? And who's going to listen to that person yelling the loudest? And that person should be God. But he's not yelling. He's calling us. My hope going forward to interact with culture is to tell people like, hey, like, be still. Listen to this guy is calling you. He's calling you home. So appreciate the ministry of Impact 360. We were actually there twice this year, once speaking to high school students, the second time speaking to their nine month gap year students. Such an awesome ministry to instill a historically biblical Christian worldview um, into young people. Yeah, it's a great ministry. So go check them out and see if they might be helpful to you in yeah. your journey in discipling your kids. And with that, speaking of discipleship, Let's go back and listen to the rest of our conversation with Arlene Pelican. I had sent an article to Arlene that there was a study that just came out recently. Um, the I think the British uh, newspaper tablet, I don't know what it is, Daily Mail, had a little summary of it. Uh, let's see if Bob can get it up here. Generation of child web addicts. Youngsters are becoming so obsessed with the Internet. They spend more time on YouTube than with friends as parents struggle to keep control of their online usage. And so I thought, well, is this just tabloid sensationalism? So I took the time to go actually read and look into the, the journal article that they were quoting. And again, it's the pediatric um, American medical association journal. So it's a, mm -hmm. it's a reputable academic journal. And um, Bob, if we can go to the graphic from the journal. Yeah, there it is. This is the study association between screen time and child's performance on development screen uh, screening test. So let's just skip to the conclusions here. I thought it was interesting because it's exactly what Arlene's been saying for years. Uh, the results of this study support the directional direction association. association between screen time and child development. Recommendations include encouraging family media plans, managing screen time to offset the potential consequences of excess use. I'm like, well, if they had read Arlene's book a few years ago, they'd be well ahead. But but the the I I keep actually keep following these types of studies and just time and again, they they're all saying the same thing. That and and we as parents need to pay attention, which kind of brings me to the question of how do adults really contribute to the problem? Because I'm starting to think that adults are 
really almost more of a problem than the children because the children are following our our lead. I'm sorry, Krista. I didn't hear your question. I that's was checking okay. my I was checking my texting. No, I'm joking. That's, okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that's the problem. So they did a study of six thousand kids, and they asked, like, "What's your parents' worst habit?" And more, the majority of them said, my parents' worst habit is looking at their phone, interrupting while we are in conversation. So it is just this modeling that we are so connected with this little device that our kids feel like second fiddle to that. So we, first of all, have to say, wait a minute, whenever my child is present, I need to model to them that the human being in front of me is more important than my device. Like my device can wait, but you can't. So I'm going to look at you. I'm going to give you eye contact, you know, that that's so important. So I think it is the modeling. I think it's much easier as an adult. Like we hear these things and we get it, but somehow we're not translating it into a change in our lives because maybe we feel so overwhelmed. Like, how are we going to get there? We often hear things like, my kids would never you know, or I could never do that. And so we need to have the hope to say, wait a minute, we can change. And we've got to make those action steps very specific. We're not going to have phones at mealtime. And maybe that's all we're going to work on. Or, hey, you teenager, you're going to charge your phone outside overnight. And so am I as the adult. Maybe it's the adult that's the worst offender, right? And so we're going to charge our phones in a different room outside of the bedroom at night. So we've kind of got to get a hold of this because it really is easier. Think of us at work. Uh, they say that cyber loafing, you know, so looking at things 60 to 80% of the time in one survey, that's what people on the job are doing. So we start out looking for something legitimate for work, right? But then you're like, oh, that's an interesting article. Oh, I can't believe that movie's coming out. Wow, those shoes are on sale. And all of a sudden you're somewhere else. And so we as adults have to work on our wandering because it's a whole lot easy to be distracted and to say, oh, I'm busy than to deal with your screaming three-year-old who's having a tantrum. You know, it's a whole lot easier to just be like, oh, I've got to answer some emails right now that are really important for work. You know? Yeah. And that's such easier. a struggle. That's yeah. just a struggle for me. And I just really appreciate, like, we should just say that the reason we're having this special broadcast at this time is because Arlene is so committed to her family. Mm-hmm. She's like, when my kids are home, I don't do interviews. And her kids are getting off school. And this was like our last chance to get her before her kids had summer break. So I was like, all right, let's do it at 9 a.m. Because I appreciate that. Thank you. It it, it feeds right into what we're talking about Mm -hmm. is we don't want to just say family first. We want to make decisions and have intentionalities that match that. And I know Mm -hmm. that's my struggle, too. You know, you and I, Arlene, are both like highly motivated, very goal oriented. You know, we're involved in ministry on social media for the purpose of our ministry. So we're not trying to villainize it, but we're also trying to set the the proper proper boundaries with it. Yeah, and it's the whole idea of purpose. You know, I wasn't on Instagram for so long because I felt like I'm the social media like moderation gal. I don't want to be like, oh, and I'm on Instagram five (laughs) hours a day. You know, it just didn't make sense. So I just joined a few months ago. So I'm Instagram newbie and my habit, and here it is again. So it's not like I'm so perfect or so amazing. It's just you have habits and then your brain just kind of follows them. So my habit is five days a week. I'll post something make a comment. I'll look around maybe for two or three minutes and then I'm done. That's like my Instagram for the whole day. And so it's just a habit of, okay, this is my purpose. This is what I'm here for. And I do it. And I think for us, if we look at texting, email, shopping, all those things, like what am I here to do? I'm here to get shoes. Fabulous. Get the shoes, 
and then get out. You know, it's like do your mission and then get out. And for us to be that strict with ourselves, because it's so easy just to let it slide. And our kids will then pick up that purpose as well, hopefully. You mentioned Facebook or not Facebook, you mentioned Instagram, and I automatically think about Facebook. Um, But to me, those things are kind of archaic with like Snapchat or, you know, all of the new apps that are coming out. Mm How important is it that parents actually keep up to date with those things? Or is it okay that, you know, like I'm I'm just going to monitor the time that you're on, but not really the apps that are out there? Yeah. So much of this, I think, is the heart of, of the child, because no matter how much you monitor, however much you do, and those things are fine. Your kid can find a way around. You know, your kid can have a burner phone that you have no idea that they have. Your kid can have five accounts with bogus emails with anonymous names that you had no idea they had. So they have that capability. And I think that we can't observe everything that they do. And I believe that's why it's so important from birth to 10 that their screen time is almost non-existent except for family time watching because you're building character in that child. And a child who has character at age 10 isn't going to be like, oh, I'm 12 now. I'm going to hide things from my parents. You know, it'll go against their nature. I'm not saying that if you parent a certain way, it's going to automatically, you know, your child's going to turn out perfect if you do. No, but you much have a much better chance. So uh, yes, you can monitor. Yes, you can have, you can set it up on your phone where maybe they only get one hour of screen time or something and then it shuts down. Or you can disable apps after a certain time of day. And I think those are good measures for a parent to take. But most importantly, it's that heart. It's the self-control of a child. It's what they have an appetite for, a desire for. And that's what we as parents, that's discipleship, right? In the home, trying to help guide their heart to want what is good and noble and lovely and praiseworthy. And a lot of the stuff online is not. Yeah, I just feel like trying to monitor content is a losing battle. Mm-hmm. I've kind of shifted into our sec with our second child that I can't monitor all that. It's just easier not to have the devices. Yeah. And we just spend more time together as a family. And, and that she, is and she assures me that she's the only child on the planet <laughs> that has this issue. So if anyone would like to well, add see. their but Add see, their name in our chat box. Now, that would be great. Now you have proof positive <laughs> through this video that I have a high school freshman who does not have a phone or social media. I have a seventh grade girl. So my freshman's a boy. I have a seventh grade girl who does not have social media or a phone. Obviously, my fourth grader doesn't either. But this is weird, right? This is oh, weird. Yeah. They don't have we are the devices. weird parents. Yeah, we are weird. But guess what? If they're if their friends want to text them, you know, they use my number and I'm totally fine with that. If um, my son, Ethan, who's in high school, he has a Google voice number. It's a free number you can get from Google. And so he can enter a group chat from that and he can do that from his phone. So that's kind of a way to get around this. He's in an after school activity. So they have a group chat. So how do they keep in touch about practice times, etc.? So that's a way that we've kind of solved that problem. So yes, Your kids will be weird, but I love to say Bill Gates, he did not give his children a phone until high school. Steve Jobs did not allow iPads in his own home for his children. Like, are we seeing a pattern here? Yeah. So it is okay to be the weird one because you're either going to be weird that like, oh, look, my child knows how to have a conversation with an adult and likes to read and plays (laughs) an instrument. Like, okay. 
that weird. Or you could be like, my child's great at Snapchat, but they've been unemployed for 10 years because they can't seem to find a job, you know? So you can pick which weird you want, but I think the former weird is better. I think that for, for me, what I've noticed in my own life, because again, our generation has the benefit if we remember life before the internet, before devices. So we know what that was like. I'm always telling my, my kids, like, why don't you ever call your friends on the phone, you know, and have a real conversation. And they just look at me like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. Like people don't do that, mom. I know, but I, I, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And and that's actually an important skill. And what I, I've come to loathe in my own self, and I'm trying so hard to work on this is mobile devices steal our little moments is what I call them. And like I'm sitting around getting ready for a meeting at work and there's five to 10 of us all sitting around the table. And instead of asking my coworker how his mother is coming along after cancer surgery, we're just both sitting on our phones and mm-hmm. looking at our phones. It steals those little moments mm-hmm. together of eye contact, of, of connection and bringing it back to where we started of if my sincere belief as a theologian that connection is part of the created order that we as human persons were created to connect and um, that mobile devices are too often a hindrance to that. Yes. Theoretically my child can call grandma, but how often does that, does that really turn into a reality? Yep. That's it's so profound because it's how we are interacting with people. When my children were in kindergarten, that was the time to meet parents because it's like you're all waiting at the door for your kids to come out. You're not in your car. You know, your kids aren't walking out. You're at the door waiting for your child. And that's where we really got to know one another. Yeah. And so those parents became my friends. But I notice as the years go on, because now, you know, he's in ninth grade. Now I look at that kindergarten door and it's totally different. Like the parents are just standing and each of them, oh, did you lose me? Yeah. Okay. Do you hear me? I hear you. We just All right. see a green I'll screen. Just, I'll just keep talking for now. So, uh, so these parents, they're not talking to each other. They're on their phones instead. It's like this green screen that you're seeing for me. <laughs> that you're, not, you're not seeing people. They're on their phones. And what does it signal when you are on a phone, I'm busy. Don't interrupt me. Yeah. So people don't feel free to say like, oh, okay. You know, even though you're doing something totally mindless on your phone, they don't feel free to say like, okay, you know, hey, uh, let me talk to you because they're embarrassed. They don't want to interrupt you. And so as a result, you get to know no one and that's not good. We're getting some good feedback from viewers, Arlene. There are a few people watching us right now and we'll, uh, on the live stream, one of our viewers said that she works with college students and they don't have phone conversations at all. They don't do email either. Texting is really their mode of communication and doing business. And, you know, as an employer, I, I actually hired people. I've noticed this in the younger generation. When I instruct my subordinates to make a phone call, they'll say, well, I'll send an email. And I'm like, I kind of just asked you to make a phone call. Right, right. They, they struggle with it. Yes. Um. Another one, a couple other our viewers who I know are, are moms of, of teenagers say this is very helpful. I'm wondering, uh, because summer is coming, 
what ideas you might have for families to help promote connection over screen time. Yeah. And this is that planning thing, right? Is and you guys can see me again, can't you? Bob's going to try it. There you okay. are. All right. Good, good, good. I switched camera. Sorry. I had a little technical difficulty on the other one. Now, so for the summertime, I think the planning is key. So because, you know, if you all wake up and it's like, what are we going to do? I don't know. Okay. Well, we're going to watch TV. That's what we're going to do and play video games. So it is okay. Let's put some things in the calendar that are totally non-screen related, whether it's the park, whether it's laser tag, whether it's mini golf, whether it's a basketball game, whatever. But I think putting things in the calendar so you see like, okay, we're going to go camping on Monday and Tuesday, or we're going to go for a hike on Friday. And, and this takes effort because you have to kind of plan it out. And obviously there are a lot of working moms and dads out there who don't have that kind of uh, ability. And so then it's looking at the weekend. Okay, what can we do totally screen free on the weekend? If I know, okay, while I'm at work, my kids are most likely on screens most of the day, right? So it's that planning. And then maybe it's a reward system. You know, we pay for books in our family. So you read this book, you make some money. So we don't do an allowance, we do book money. And it really helps them to say like, oh, I'd really love to read The Millionaire Next Door. You know, nobody wants to read The Millionaire Next Door. It's like a business book. But we want our high schooler to have those kinds of skills and just knowledge. So we pay for that. So maybe it's a book reading program. Maybe it's a list of things that need to get completed before that screen time is unlocked. I know a lot of families do that. And I think that's a great idea, too. I think that one of the biggest struggles I have, and I'm wondering how you've dealt with this, Arlene, is... As much as I can try to monitor what my children are doing on screens, when during the summertime, especially when they're hanging out with their friends more, right. I don't have any idea right. what their friends are up to on their devices. Yeah. And there comes a point where I've just had to sort of turn it over to the Lord because I can't be ne completely neurotic about, <laughs> about what their friends are doing. I try to encourage them to invite their friends over to the house so I can at least know their friend's character and try to know the parents. But even that is sort of frowned upon by my children and all my insistences of knowing their parents of their, right. their friends. Um, I, yeah, I'm that person. We uh, like you. We like that person. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm wondering how you've kind of wrestled through that conundrum. Yeah. And it is kind of similar if we see, oh, you know, my daughter's hanging out with this person. Oh, let's have that family over for dinner. And sometimes we think, well, that doesn't work because they have all girls and we have Ethan. And that's just weird because then poor Ethan's like, why am I staring at this girl ninth grader? <laughs> whatever it is, right? <laughs> so sometimes it is awkward and it can't be done or whatever. But as much as possible, to know who is that other parent, who is that child, what are they like? I and, and that, again, it becomes harder, as, I think, as your kids get older. When yeah. your kids are little, you know the parents. They've come, you know, you know all that, and, and it's easier. And then as they're in high school, but I think that's also part of God's plan for their development is that they're growing older. They're getting kind of out of that funnel that you've put them in, you know, real strict when they're little, like this is exactly what you have to do. And then they're making their own decisions because by the time they're 18 and go to college, they're going to pick whatever friends, you know, yeah. are there. So they're having to learn how to pick those friends. So I think for me, it's more conversations and questions. 
like asking my daughter, um, which of your friends do you think is the kindest? Like how, which are, and then which of your friends are any of your friends like mean, like they're mean to other girls or they're mean to other people and just kind of trying to figure out what's your friend circle like? Uh, and then before a play date, and I call it a play date, it's not a play date in high school, but before they go to a friend's <laughs> house that you'd ask questions like, okay, what would you do if, you know, what would you do if they started watching something and you knew like, wow, there's a lot of language in that. I don't think I'm supposed to be watching that. Or there's, you know, nudity. What, you know, what would you do? And kind of just talking through what would the options be. So that way, if it happened, that child would be like, oh, my word, we talked about this. <laughs> like, like my parent knows this kind of stuff. So at least those seeds are planted for how would you respond to this in the most godly manner possible? Is your kid going to make a mistake? Sure. But that's also a way that they're going to learn. Now, if you as a parent see okay, this person is really a bad influence. You know, like ever since my child's been hanging out with this person, they're lying, they're keeping things from me, they're disrespectful. I think as a parent, then it is that unpopular thing of, I'm sorry, but whenever you go to so-and-so's house, you kind of come back a different person. So we're going to not go to our house for the next yeah. two weeks. And you can, we'll make up an excuse for your friend, you know, to kind of save face, say like, oh, my grandma's in from out of town or whatever it is. And I got to spend time with her, you know, but I think as a parent, you would step in then and say, yeah. this friend is not good for you. That's good advice. And again, I want to recommend everyone, uh, Arlene's book, Growing Up Social. And I'm also going to mention, I don't have a graphic for it, but your newest book, Parents Rising, which is really about being a leader as a parent. And I also want to commend everyone to check out Arlene's uh, live streams. Are you doing it on Tuesdays or Wednesdays? Now? I usually do it on Tuesdays. Okay. And sometimes it does move because of the kids schedule, but yeah. they're typically on Tuesdays. All right. So people can catch that on Facebook live stream. She does them in a very short and sweet, like 15 mm -hmm. minutes. And I'm sure they're probably archived there on Facebook. She went through um, her latest book recently uh, sort of chapter by chapter, walking people through it, almost like a book club. But Arlene is just such a voice of um, sanity, I feel like, in a culture that's lost its mind sometimes over this. And standing, helping parents stand up to the peer pressure and also finding something inside themselves, which I would, and I think Arlene would agree with me, is something along the lines of the Holy Spirit uh, mm -hmm. to help strengthen their souls and to uh, really be a leader in, in their, in their home. So thank you, Arlene, for jumping yes, on. Thank you very us. much. Thank you. It's been so good to talk with you both. And I'm so glad we ended on that note of the Holy Spirit because he will help you do what you cannot do yourself. That's so right. Go, go Amen. Arlene is, is the first person I ever met. She's probably gonna be really embarrassed, for me <laughs> this, but <laughs> she was always like, doing intercessory prayer ministry and stuff at Biola back in the old days and did like prayer walks and different things. She was really the first charismatic that I ever met. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just so admired her and have continued to uh, watch her from afar. And it's just an honor and a privilege to have you here on the show and just thank you so much thank for you. all that you do for families and um, just being a, a stand in the spirit realm for families in such a powerful way. So thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. Yeah. 
Wow, what a great conversation. I mean, I'm so thankful that even though that conversation was a few years ago, it's still relevant today. It's really timeless. And we want to encourage you, go follow Arlene and her work. Check out her books. Uh, Super helpful content in this area. And like I said before at the top, uh, she lives this out in her everyday life. And I know that this is uh, not just a theoretical idea for, for Arlene. She is really committed to doing this as a component of discipleship with her kids. And with that, I want to encourage you, if you want to know more information about this episode, go check out all the archives for past shows on our awesome and amazing redesigned website, allthethingshow.com. Make sure that you are subscribed so that you can get weekly updates and sneak previews of what is coming up. And with that, we will see you next week. Bye. There's nothing.